Today, I'm treating the 10th deadly sin on my list of 11. Now, I really didn't invent these other sins. Uh, I have gone into extra innings, as I told you last week. I preached on the seven deadly sins and decided that uh, I needed to add four more. And next week will be the last one I won't tell you, but I think that it'll be uh, the most important, if you will, of the ones that I have dealt with in many ways. And the one I'm most excited about dealing with. But I've uh, added these uh, other deadly sins, fear, cruelty, and now today, dishonesty. What makes a sin a deadly sin? All sins, according to St. Paul, are deadly. The apostle said that the wages of sin is death in Romans chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. So all sins in a real sense are deadly. That's why they need to be forgiven. And that's why we need to turn to the Lord and live for him. Then why single out certain sins and call them deadly sins? Maybe you've asked that question because uh, it seems to be obvious. Why, why single out certain sins if all sins are deadly? Well, the reason that Christians in the past have singled out certain sins is because they recognize that certain sins, certain sins, if you will, cripple us in the Christian life and keep us from making progress in the Christian life. And a Christian still living in the world, still with a nature that is subject to sin, uh, still with a call, if you will, from God to walk in his ways, we must contend and deal with these sins in our lives, these temptations. No sin in one sense is more deadly than another in this regard that I have listed for you. What we have done is put a name to some actions that we need to be aware of, some attitudes that spring up in us that we need to deal with. And so I'm really talking about the Christian walk when I talk about these sins. What does it mean to walk in the light of the Lord and in the love of the Lord? Well, it means that we will have to deal with these particular sins, these seven deadly sins and plus the four at least that I've added to the list. Now, I must admit that the four that I've added to the list are kind of modern. In one way, they are covered by the seven deadly sins, which are reflective of the Ten Commandments. But we need to put a name to some of these things that we have to deal with in our day and age, and certainly dishonesty is one of them. I want to quote a couple of verses from the Bible. Both verses are found... Uh, at the end of the New Testament in 1 John and 2 John. 1 John says this, If we claim to have fellowship with him, that is Christ, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. Now keep that verse in mind. Or in 2 John, only one chapter comes from verse 6. 
And this is love, says the writer. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commandments. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So I'm saying that dishonesty is a sin against light and against love. In every case, dishonesty is a sin against light and against love. No sin that I can think of is a greater sin than this sin against light and against love. And today, I want you to see why dishonesty is so deadly to the soul. Why we need to seek to establish truth in our inward parts to make, if you will, King David's prayer in Psalm 51, our prayer, when he prays, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Our text is Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You probably know the story well, but let me frame it so that we can see it in a fresh way. Not in the text, of course, are some verses at the end of chapter 4. And we find a man by the name of Barnabas, a man who was a companion, the first companion of the Apostle Paul. He, he sold some property. He apparently was quite well off. He sold some property and brought the proceeds, all of the proceeds, and laid them at the Apostle's feet. Now, he was recognizing in doing that the need of the poorer people in the community, the Christian community, and also he was recognizing the authority of the apostles as the foundation of the church. He was saying, I want to follow in the way of the apostles, for they were faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, I want to follow in their train and be faithful counted among the faithful. I also want to see the church and I want to see it progress and I want to see it prosper and I want to see those least in our midst not suffer from want. And so he does this and he's commended for it. In fact, his name is changed to Barnabas. It's interesting that the apostles give him a new name. Maybe that's the origin of getting a name at baptism. Nonetheless, Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 attempt to do the same thing. They likewise apparently had plenty of money and had plenty of wealth and they sold land, property. But the thing is, they only gave a portion. Now, that would have been fine to only give a portion. We see from later words that Peter says, you know, you didn't have to sell the land to begin with. It's yours. You can do with it what you want. Moreover, if you gave a portion, that's fine. But here is the problem. You're trying to defraud the community by telling us that you gave the whole proceeds. But you didn't. And Peter goes on to say, you lied not only to us, but you have lied against the Holy Spirit. In other words, you have become a hypocrite in one sense, and you are playing the hypocrite before God and before his people. Dishonesty probably uh, is the summation of all the deadly sins. 
For sometimes dishonesty has the face of greed, and I think in this case it did. Sometimes it has the face of pride. Sometimes it has the face of lust, as in the case of King David. And you can go on and on. Every one of the deadly sins, traditional seven deadly sins, you might say, can be summed up by this word, dishonesty. In any case, dishonesty is a lie. It's a sin, if you will, against the truth. And that is what they are indicted for, for lying in public and against the Holy Spirit. You did not have to give it, remember, he says to them. And if you gave a portion, why didn't you tell us honestly that you were only giving a portion? It is not yours, Peter is saying to them, to lie to others and to the Holy Spirit. Dishonesty is the opposite of integrity and uprightness. If you want the counterbalance to dishonesty or that which uh, it, it is a sin against in some sense, it's a sin against integrity, truth outwardly and inwardly. It's a breaking of the commandment of God that you shall not, if you will, bear false witness against your neighbor. Integrity and uprightness are traits that are necessary for us to do, just simply do ordinary business, isn't it? Think how important honesty is. Honesty is necessary to just conduct ordinary life. Moreover, honesty is necessary in our relationships. We cannot have good relationships without honesty. How many times have I heard young people today say, they're playing games with me. Don't play games. They're talking about relationships and they're talking about honesty when they say that kind of thing. And how many times do you hear, buyer beware? Why do we have to be aware of the seller? Because we know that there are so many people out there who are absolutely dishonest. And uh, the Internet has become a vehicle to swindle so many people out of their goods and sometimes out of their homes and livelihood entirely. Now, that is no indictment of the Internet. I hope it stays free and doesn't come under the United Nations, which they're trying to do. Think what it will be then. It will become a tool for government propaganda. But nonetheless, you have to beware, don't you? You have to beware when you go to buy something or when you buy something online or somebody tries to steal your identity, it makes it difficult, particularly for the weak among us and the elderly among us, to negotiate life. It is a serious sin in our lives, dishonesty, especially needed in the family life. How can you have family relations if there is dishonesty, particularly uh, at the top, mother and father? You know, children will forgive you almost any sins as they look back on life after they get grown. They'll forgive you of your temper, maybe your unjust punishment. Uh, they will forgive you of many of your sins, but I'll tell you what, they will not forgive you. Or at least they will have a difficulty in forgiving you, and that is if you've been a dishonest person in your life. So dishonesty is a serious sin. Dishonesty, ipso facto, is hypocrisy. In every case, it is hypocrisy, isn't it? Dishonesty. 
is hypocrisy. Now that was the problem with Ananias and Sapphira. They were, they were proved to be hypocrites. They were play acting. They were dishonest in this case and they were insincere in the way they presented themselves. Now you can think of some great literary characters and I can name a couple of here. Uriah Heep. What a disingenuous hypocrite in Davy Copperfield. Uriah Heep. It's synonymous with, with uh, if you will, sentimental piety with no heart and no truth inwardly. Think of the French Moliere. Tartuffe is a character in his literature. It is no compliment to be called a Tartuffian. Think of Ananias and Sapphira. I don't think anyone names their children, do they? Ananias, well, sometimes I've heard Sapphira. But it's no compliment. They've come down to us in history as frauds, haven't they? They've come down to us in history as fraud. Because in every case, dishonesty is hypocrisy. And no one likes to be called a hypocrite, do they? Isn't that a, a, hurtful, a hurtful word and label if it is applied to you? Dishonesty also, in every case, is an exploitation of others. And almost always for gain. I want you to think about that for a moment. It's an exploitation of others when we make false promises and we know that we're not going to keep them. To put somebody off. You know, I love that verse in the Bible which says that in Jesus Christ, everything is yea and amen. And Jesus goes on to say in his own teaching, let your yeses be yeses and your noes, noes. Some of us need to take a lesson from the gospel, don't we? We need to be able to speak sincerely. Now, we don't always have to tell the bald truth to everyone. I, I, I do refrain from making certain judgments when I'm asked to make them because, well, I know they will not be beneficial. And I can think of a few that make me laugh, but I'm not going to mention them even. And so you withhold out of courtesy certain things. You have to know how to apply truth. You can use truth as a club and be brutal. But what you don't have the right to do is to deceive your neighbor. What you don't have the right to do is to deceive a family member. What you don't have the right to do is to deceive in the public arena. That, of course, is a kind of fraud or dishonesty. And when I think of what fraud and dishonesty mean for us, I, I can apply it on the, on the individual level. We know that we've had promises from business personnel that they never intended to carry through. I'll deliver that appliance on so-and-so. And they don't even have it in the store. And uh, they just say that to get you out. And then, of course, you discover you don't get it when you want it. No, no sin against contractors here, but all of us have had situations where we've asked a contractor, when can you finish this? Now, sometimes you can't control those things, but you have to be honest when you can't, don't you? 
But you can't really deceive people and put them off. Same thing in my own arrangements with you. I try to be honest. Sometimes I can't fulfill my promises, and I, I hope I ask your forgiveness. And I need to tell you why. Otherwise, I will build up a reputation of being dishonest. I've been accused of being a liar twice since I've been the pastor of this church, and both times it hurt me very deeply. And in both cases, it was not the case. Absolutely not the case. It was a misunderstanding. But I was accused of being a liar. Now, I knew all the facts, and I should have let it roll off my back, but to be called a liar. You know, where I come from, you just don't do that unless you put up your dukes. <laughs> just the way life is. No one wants to be dishonest, and yet it is, a, it is a sin and a temptation that is difficult to overcome. What gets me more, though, than on the personal level is the, if you will, the dishonesty that we find in our public life. It seems to me that our media outlets today, maybe more than ever, I don't know. Maybe not back in George Washington's times and Thomas Jefferson's times, but our media is tendentious. It is, it is if you will, uh, driven by agendas. And the news often is shaped to that end. Now, the unsuspecting in our midst are often duped by those things and base decisions upon it. But it is a problem in our day, and it's a problem in every land. In every land. I'm not going to stand here today and give you example after example because you would think I was being political. Uh, just for being uh, political, uh, political uh, sake. Uh, I am not uh, going to do that. But let me say, I have no doubt that a great deal of fraud is being perpetrated upon the American public because the media is, is agenda-driven. It has a goal, and it wants to reach that. It wants to shape society in a certain way. Let me say also that that is true of governments. The bigger government gets, the more it is subject to dishonesty. I would like for you to read the bills that come out of Congress and see if it matches what it actually substantively is going to do. You would think it was going to put $1,000 in your pocket tomorrow. And after you read the fine print, it's taken 1000 out of your pocket. <laughs> Dishonesty at every level. And the higher up it goes, the more it affects people's lives people's lives. And what happens? We become mistrustful. Isn't that a terrible way to live, to mistrust everything? To have to be on your guard? But that's what dishonesty leads to, not only in the larger picture, but in our relationships. In our relationships. Propaganda. Dishonesty. Not speaking the truth. Well, we come back to Ananias and Sapphira. You can see why it's a deadly sin. <laughs> they both died. When, when, when uh, Peter pronounced a judgment, it was a death sentence. And in this case, it was a real deadly sin. I suspect that Peter gave these two an opportunity to repent. It doesn't say so in the text. But the outcome leads you to think, that when given the opportunity to repent, they did not. 
The cure for dishonesty is true repentance. If you read Psalm 51, you see that David, who has defrauded in the end the entire kingdom, but he knows most of all it is God himself. And he pleads that God would give him truth in the inward parts and to give him a new heart and a new life. Now, David's conscience had been, if you will, salved over. It, it wasn't providing a full force to his consciousness of what he had done wrong. But still yet, I'm sure that he knew everything was out of kilter. Things were not right. Things were wrong. Living a dishonest life is kind of like going around with a sickness. You're not quite what you should be, and you know it. The best way to become healthy again, if you will, spiritually, is to confess your sins and to turn from them. And to pray with King David, O oh Lord, make me true in my heart. Give me a heart that longs for truth and beauty and goodness. Truth, beauty, and goodness on the inward side of me. Now, that's a whole person. When you find a person who is truly from their heart to their lips trying to live an honest life, there is a beautiful person. And we often say in our conversations about that person, there goes a good person. He's a good man or, he's, or she's a good woman. Or that's a good kid. And we're talking about their sincerity. Because they're trying to live a truthful life. We were called to live in the light, were we not? And in the love of the Lord. I know that when I preach sermons like this, that I, I hit all of us. Don't I? I, I don't think anyone escapes uh, these kinds of judgments. And they are judgments. But I don't escape. The truth is, if we would have joy and happiness, sometimes it's rooted simply to our behaviors. And honesty is a behavior that will sometimes maybe not give you as much money as you would like, but it will give you more joy than you can imagine. It's God's benefit, blessedness. That's why King David says so much in the Psalms, blessed is the man. Did you notice the second hymn? It's based on Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who loves truth and will attempt to practice it. Praise be to God for God's revelation in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.